0: We're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit vanityfair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's vanityfair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want.
1: So, where do you see yourself in five years' time?
2: What do you want to be doing? What's the plan?
1: I just want to be happy. I want to learn everything. I'll be stinking rich. He's going to London. 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 I'm getting out of here.
3: The history of men like us have always been hidden away in secret. But then there's
1: the real world. There's a million pubs and things. I love it, you. I came to London and I thought, great, I can be gay. We're
0: going to party every night. Hello and welcome to Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson.
3: And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic, Richard Lawson.
0: Right now, Richard and I, uh, along with our colleague, Anthony Bresdekin, are in the middle of a deep dive of WandaVision, but we are pressing pause on WandaVision, uh, really quickly, Richard and I are doing this one-off special episode to talk about the um, HBO miniseries, um, I suppose it's probably a BBC miniseries, on HBO called It's a Sin from Russell Davies. This is a five-part uh, show that dropped in the UK um, a little earlier this year and is dropping all at once on HBO Max uh, for your binging uh, pleasure this weekend. Um Richard, do you want to tell the folks, give a, give a tidy little summary of what It's a Sin is?
3: Yeah. It's like you said, it's from Russell T Davies, who is the creator of Queer as Folk, um, which was a a groundbreaking show in its time in the late nineties, who then went on to kind of spearhead the revamp of Dr. Who and has done um, some other interesting TV projects. Um, And now is kind of returning specifically to, gay homosocial culture i guess um and this this series is set um in 1980 or the early 1980s in london and it follows uh some young some young people mostly gay men um as they you know start on their lives uh in the big city and pursue career dreams and love and all sex and all that stuff but of course uh during that time was when the AIDS crisis was running uh, really really ramping up uh in the gay community so it's a um uh, it's a piece of history uh gay history i guess um epidemiological history um but also a kind of interpersonal drama uh it's a lot of things kind of like life and i guess this show is really just about people's lives
0: uh, and from what I gathered, and we've got, uh, an interview, uh, Richard talked to Russell T Davies and Ollie Alexander, who's the lead actor of the series. Um, and you'll hear that a little bit later in this episode. Richard and I are going to talk a little bit sort of generally about the show. Then you'll hear the interview. And then at the, after the interview, we're going to talk about some specifics of the ending, which, um, you know, Richard has a lot of thoughts on. I do too. Um, so if you haven't seen the show yet, I think this first, first section is going to be safe for you to listen to. Um, and then you're going to want to go watch it, listen to the interview and listen to the ending. Or you can press pause, watch it, listen to the whole thing then. Um, but we're not going to get into like really specific sort of episodic spoilers until the end of this podcast. Um, but yeah, this is this is, from what I understand a semi-autobiographical um, reflection of Russell's own experience sort of being young and um, artistic uh, at the dawn of this crisis in, in London. So, um, And newly
3: out. I think that's another and- big facet of, of this show is that it, it is, at least in the, f- the first episode or two, a very much a coming out story.
0: So I want to kick off with this email we got from one of our listeners, Robert, because we did mention that we were going to be doing this one-off episode, Um, and Robert writes to us from the UK, writes... Uh, firstly, thank you so much for all the hard work and craft you both put into Still Watching and other projects. Um, Whichever series you're working through is always the highlight of my week once you've explained it all to me in the podcast. Thank you, Robert. That's so nice. I wanted to write ahead of your It's a Sin podcast. The program was a very personal and intense watch for me as an HIV plus cis gay man living in Bristol in the UK. I'm lucky that I was diagnosed in 2010 at the age of 22 and so uh am completely fit and healthy on antiviral medication. Washington has really struck a nerve for the LGBT community in the UK as there has been very little in the way of UK-based drama addressing the AIDS, AIDS HIV epidemic. A lot of the history I knew through my own experience and research, but a lot of queer people my age have little to no knowledge of everything that went down in that era. The survivors of this era are the heroes of our community, the gay bar owners, charity founders, mentors, and activists who campaigned for all the rights we now have in modern times. Highlighting uh, to the current privileged generation everything that happened, I think is enormously important, amazing. Amazing, uh, amazingly, the program has also broken records on uh, 4OD, that's Channel 4's streaming service, and many heterosexual people in the country are finally becoming aware of the horrors of that era for the LGBTQ community. For me, the highlight of the show were the scenes uh, – well, that's a finale spoiler, so I'm going to skip that um, – the two criticisms I would have of the show are a, it is very much Russell's viewpoint on the era. The main characters are all cis gay men with no lesbians, only to- token trans representation and little acknowledgement of the impact the virus had on heterosexual people or in particular British people who have immigrated from Africa. Also, I found it deeply frustrating um the ending which we will talk about um sorry for the long email. thank you all for you do um and I owe you a huge debt of gratitude, Rob. so it sounds like you know um. I think Richard and I were both well, I don't want to speak for, you, Richard. I will say I was extremely positive on the show um and then have some questions about the ending, yeah, Richard overall, what's you know, how would you characterize your feeling
3: yeah, I mean I think it 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 it's a show I mean kind of like life that contains some really beautiful moments, um some really sad ones, and then some ones that are a bit frustrating, um mm-hmm. particularly toward the end of the series um and I think that the emailer makes an important point, which is that Davie's and he'll talk about this in our interview, but like this is based on his own experience. And so the purview does have to be a little bit narrower if he wants to be specific, I guess you could say, Um, which isn't to say that that's enough, I guess. I mean, I think if, if the show as it's being kind of marketed at least is as this kind of broad survey of AIDS in the early eighties in the UK, um, a lot of people are left out and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and, and that has been the case for so much, uh, fiction, uh, be it plays or books or films or miniseries about AIDS. Um, you know, gay white men have been the authors of a, a vast majority of those, uh, uh, works, at least the ones that have gotten, you know, sort of prominent attention or productions. So this is not breaking the mold in that way. um, but I think that what it does, which is also something your emailer addressed, is you know nineteen eighty one was almost forty it was forty years ago, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh that's that's two roughly generations of people, you know, yeah, and I think especially nowadays with um well, I mean to be <laughs> blunt, I guess like um a lot of condom free pornography uh gay pornography um the advent of drugs like prep um uh, have really taken the sort of safe sex conversation within the gay community to a different place i'm not saying that people aren't cognizant of or careful but um hiv and aids specifically are not uh i guess held in the same at least from my perspective held in the same sort of like central p- place of importance um in, in gay culture, which is a good thing. And I think that Davies would agree with that. And that's why he made Queer as Folk in 1998 because he wanted to, and which never mentions HIV at all. Um, oh, it, I
0: never realized that.
3: Yeah. this And he talks about that in our interview, but like mm-hmm. the, this community does not need to be defined as, as amorphous a community as it is to begin with, does not need to be defined by a disease. But I think something not only sort of in terms of tradition and history and lore is lost if um, AIDS is kind of, um fades in 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 cultural memory but actually there is a public health uh, or mm. personal health concern to that as well um yeah. so it's a really tricky thing to do this is obviously a really fraught topic for lots of people of varying ages and experiences um but i think for the most part at least, especially in those early episodes i think this show um gets at something really true and important
0: the thing that um, you know, y- you and I talked about off air, liking so much, um, and I think the thing that a lot of people have exclaimed about uh, the series is the way in which it balances the very real the feelings you would expect to feel from um, a-, a drama centered on the um, AIDS HIV crisis with joy and celebration for what this time was like uh, for the gay community on, on the positive side. Um, in in the UK uh, specifically, just sort of like, you know, the dance scene, the club scene, the like, you know, just, just at a tipping point in culture, you know, I I actually, I shouldn't talk, speak to this because I'm not a scholar of when sort of coming out of the closet um, or when the closet opened up in the UK, but it feels that there is a liberation feeling um, to the beginning, especially of this series of like, to be gay and in London was something that uh, you could be and not, not, not like that. It was without um, its societal like dangers or whatever, but it was just, we were on this, on the verge of something or pushing the boundary of something. Um, Was that your sense as well, Richard?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So there was a thing in the UK uh, or in, in Wales and England called the sexual offenses act of 1967, which legalized, um, gay sex essentially, but everyone ha- it had to be consensual of course, but also, uh, and in private, but also they had to be tw- the the people engaged both had to be over 21 or over.
0: Right. Right.
3: Which, uh, caused some really, uh, some real complications culturally. And, um, that law eventually went away. Sorry, I don't have the actual dates in front of me, but, but the 67 law with it, even though it had its limits was still pretty profound. Um, You know, it was two years before Stonewall. And then this is 12 years later, you know, 12 years after Stonewall. So there was a sense, you know, there's a great documentary called Gay Sex in the 70s, which is mostly about New York, but it's about that kind of era and, 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 you know, concomitant with disco and, 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 and that kind of liberation the sexual liberation all this stuff um women's lib stuff you know was ov- obviously a, a component of that mm-hmm. um yeah it's a it's and and i think that's what's so arresting about the beginning of this series is is that you have these kids are like just tearing into their new lives like they're just so, you know in different ways but they're so mm-hmm. excited and and yeah. then to have this thing kind of stop them in their tracks um so abruptly and horribly um You know, that is lived reality for a lot of people still alive and and a lot of people who aren't.
0: It's so, it's, um, I don't know, interesting is the wrong word, but, you know, I, so I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s and, um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I did a lot of, um, you know, throughout my teenage years, I did a lot of, um, work that that um involved delivering meals to hiv aids uh patients i like so i sat with them a lot i heard a lot of their stories i growing up around here you know there was a lot of culture a lot of um film and television that that felt like it it covered the hiv aids crisis and it just never occurred to me until we got that email from someone uh from robert that all of that was such a profoundly American point of view that I, that I did not grow up with a lot of global awareness of AIDS that it was just very narrowly American. Um, You know, did you have a broader experience in that Richard, or does this feel like, um, you know, pushing something open for you?
3: Yeah. I mean, it it does. I mean, I, 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 you know, so much of, AIDS narratives in the US are about New York City and San Francisco and yeah. um you know in my own experience my 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 mother's brother my uncle uh, Bob he he died of AIDS in 1985 uh, as did his partner and many of their friends and you know he lived had a house on Fire Island in in, in New York and and at and a home in Manhattan and You know, and so for in my mind, you know, and then sort of aided by a lot of plays that were written in the 80s and 90s, uh, Angels in America being the most famous example, it all seemed like to be a very American story. And it was a very, very bad uh, uh, pandemic in in America. Um, And it wasn't until uh, somewhat recently, a few years ago, there was a movie called Beats Per Minute uh, BPM, uh, Mm -hmm. a French movie by a director named Robin Campillo that everyone should seek out. It's a really wonderful companion piece to this show. Uh, about AIDS activists in Paris in the early '90s, so it's about a decade um, later, um, and that really opened my eyes. I mean, we are still talking about cis men and mostly white men, and 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 so there is still there are still absolute limits uh, to say nothing of the AIDS epidemic in in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and but but anyway, BPM. I was just like, oh right, like this was happening around the world. And, and I think it's really, you know, even though the UK is not that far removed culturally, geographically from the United States, it is still, I think, important for American audiences um, to, to see that, like, th- that there, there, there were different iterations of this same horror uh, happening elsewhere.
0: Yeah, and different Different governmental responses, yeah. like there's plenty yeah. that we can recognize in, uh, you know, the American government's failures and the British government's failures, but they're different flavors, and and it's very educational, um, you know, to say the least, to watch it to, to see sort of what uniquely they were dealing with here, um, yeah, and and that also that idea of generational education. Did you wind up, um, seeing? The inheritance, the Matthew Lopez two part play. Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pro- We've probably talked about it before, you and I. But like, um, one of the, um, one of the big themes of that play is about generational education within the gay community. About sort of this idea of the the young men now not not really fully being able to grok sort of what happened to the men who came for, and once again, it's very, very men, male Mm -hmm. focus, very Mm -hmm. white male focus, but like, not being able to grapple what happened with what happened to that generation. And, and, and and that is the like, sort of titular inheritance is that like, I mean, I don't want to see, I don't want to say inherited trauma, because it's not just trauma. It's also just sort of that joy and celebration for who these men were and, and you know, honoring what was lost as well as the loss, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, it sounds like that's somewhat of the mission behind this series as well is, is a bit of a generational education. Is that, do you feel like that's accurate?
3: Absolutely. And I think, I think that, that generational education, um, you see in the, the recent, uh, Netflix, uh, reboot not reboot but continuation of tales of the city the armistice mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. uh well it was short short stories and then i think it was short stories and then uh a, a series you know ages ago with young laura linney it was a co-
0: oh, column and then a series column of novels. that's right yeah, yeah, yeah novels
3: yeah. yeah um where the, you know and that actually is a, is a bit is more inclusive in terms of racially and and, and in terms of the gender spectrum and
2: mm-hmm. um
3: But there is there are some really one vital scene in particular where there is this dinner party clash between uh, an older generation of gay men who had lived through AIDS and a younger one. And 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 they both make some points, I think, ultimately, are kind of supposed to see the younger person's perspective a little bit more clear because they're saying, you know, they're being more intersectional about, you know, what gay rights means and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But but I think that, you know. RuPaul says, "As gay people, we get to choose our families, and 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 gay community is is found. It, it is it's not it's not um, instilled in you from birth. It's not biological family or or adopted family. It, it is a kind of oftentimes something that you kind of build as a, as a grown up um, or a young adult. And in order to build that community the most healthily, there has to be an understanding uh, generationally. And so much about gay life is." um, passed down, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, sound advice about where to not w- w- walk. If you don't want a certain experience in Provincetown or, or something deeper and, and, and more serious. And I think that there's a great scene in the first episode of it's a sin,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, where, um, oh, what's his name? Colin, right. Um, mm-hmm. our, our little Welsh friend, um, mm-hmm. uh, a coworker catches him sort of being harassed by the, the, the guy who runs this tailor shop on, on Savile Row. Right. Uh, and this guy, the, the, the older coworkers played by Neil Patrick Harris. And he, and he takes him for a beer at a pub and basically just pretty much comes out and just says, so you're gay. Would you like a boyfriend? You know, all this kind of stuff um, welcoming him into the yeah. the quote unquote family. And that scene is just so powerful because so many gay people, queer people have had that experience themselves. And in order I think to fully have that experience now, not post AIDS by any means, but now with the knowledge of AIDS, um that 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 ne- it needs to be it needs to be known and it doesn't have to define anything, but um it's certainly a component of it.
0: So you should talk about the found family at the center of this um of this show. Uh, the, the lead is, uh, Rishi Tozer played by Ollie Alexander. I know Ollie from, um, God help the girl, the bell and Sebastian musical. He did a couple years ago, but this is like a, this is just a huge performance from, and for him, you know, a huge role for him and he just eats it up. It's incredible. um, Roscoe Babatunde, played by Omari Douglas, uh, Colin Morris-Jones, the Affirmation Welshman, played by Callum Scott Howells, Jill Baxter, played by Lydia West, and Ash Mukherjee, played by Nathaniel Curtis. Um, the, those like the core five um, set of roommates, um, the, the found family. And, yeah. uh, you know, there are other, other ancillary parts of that, but that's like, that's the core. And, and you know, too, is this a sort of uh, a white cis- Lens, yes, but this is a, you know, a fairly diverse core five, um, of, of the cast, we should say, um, at least, you know, racially. And, and, and the character of Jill, who's based on, uh, Russell T. Davies, uh, very real roommate, very good friend, Jill N- Nalder, I think is how you pronounce her last name, uh, who, pl- who wound up playing the fictional Jill's mother in the series. Um, this character of Jill, I would consider the the co lead of of yeah. the of the show, um, and her story. I mean, I think Lydia West is incredible, and her story of. Um, I was reminded. Hope, hopefully, this is not cringy and cheesy. Um, probably is, but I I I was just constantly reminded of um, that line from Rent where Mark says, because perhaps because I'm the one of us to survive, um, yeah. you know, poor baby. I know that that's, um, it's, it's cringy to quote Rent in 2021. I've seen Rent nine didn't. times,
3: Joanna. It's okay.
0: <laughs> but you know, this idea Not movie, of, um, by the way,
3: the stage show I've seen nine times. <laughs> the, the,
0: uh, the survivors, the caretakers, the, you know, um, and that's, that's the Jill role. And it's given a lot of weight in the, sh- in the show. And I, I just thought that that part of it was really compelling as well.
3: Yeah, I I agree. And, and she's so good, uh, Lydia West and, um, obviously a huge component of gay life then gay life now, not just as, you know, the stereotypical beards or fag hags or whatever, but like, but as true participants and allies and, 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 and in this case, carers, you know, um, and advocates, um, I, I think, you know, we can get more into the kind of critical stuff later, but like, I do think I wish that Jill was a little more fleshed out as an individual, um, rather than kind of standing in as this, I know she's based on a real person, but to me she sometimes stands in a bit broadly as like a figure of more people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, it's so crucial that she's in there, um, because you really don't see a ton of those characters in, 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 a in a lot of gay narratives, uh, born out of the eighties and nineties, um, there are certainly women in them, but, it, you know, it's a brittle mother like Nick and Nikki Silver's play in Pterodactyls, or it's a pill-addled woman like Mer- uh, Harper in Angels in America, you know, um, not necessarily the people who, the women who, lesbians, straight women, all manner of women who were uh, right there, you know, uh, alongside these people.
0: Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine was, was watching the first couple episodes, um, I think it was yesterday, and he was... Talking to me about um, how how kind of surprised he was by the like the the joy and the humanity and how and how how quickly it introduces that that tone, you know. Like we were uh, a little uh, behind the scenes. Uh, Richard and I were sort of a- alerted by a, a very lovely HBO publicist that we might want to take a look at this. And uh, I don't know about you, Richard, but I like I dragged my feet a little because I was like, I don't know that. I'm like really excited to queue up a a show about the HIV AIDS crisis. Like that sounds in a pandemic year, like that sounds a little bit tough to me. Um, And then, you know, I'll admit that it wasn't until I started hearing sort of raves about it from, uh, from the UK audience that I, you know, fired up the screeners that had been sitting there waiting for me. And the, the tone right from the start is such an interesting blend of that, of that joy and hope with the other darker parts of of the narrative. But um, my friend was texting me as he was watching it. He was like, even so simple as them all coming to the kitchen with the la, which is this like little way that they greet each other as a, f- as like a found family. And it's mm-hmm. never, it's never explained or dug into. It just is. And it's just a very simple, beautiful aspect of it. And something Russell T Davies has always been so good at, like his Doctor Who era is my favorite Doctor Who era. And that is, Show when it's done well is also about found family his queerest folk um once again it's just was just like a depiction um both both the u k version and the american uh you know remake were this depiction of of gay life in a in a through a lens that you know through that joy lens which which it just hadn't been because it had been so much of the like quote unquote gay plague narrative um and and it's like you know what what if we show you something else right
2: yeah
3: yeah absolutely i I think that all of the the fun that they have you know
0: mm-hmm.
3: even while people are sick and dying mm-hmm. you know and that's not it's not callousness it's just like i mean what if, you know what have we been it's not this it's not comparable but like exactly but like what have we been doing for the past year? You know, we've been worried and trying to help where we can. I mean, much more so for people who are actually, you know, out in the field working to, to help people during COVID. But, um, there's also, you know, podcasts and, Mm -hmm. uh, zoom parties and, you know, whatnot. Like life does carry on. Hamilton
0: on Disney plus. Hamilton on Disney
3: plus. I, I had a therapist, um, for many years who, Uh, was, you know, a gay man actually who had lived through AIDS. um, But, you know, when I would feel sort of despair about the world, be it Trump or, you know, any manner of things uh, that were out of my control, um, he would always say, uh, you know, during the siege of Leningrad in World War II, which was a horrible, (laughs) horrible time for Uh those people, he was like, people still took piano lessons, (laughs) you know, Uh And, and, and I love that. And I think that we see people taking the metaphorical putting piano lessons in this show, which yeah. um, I think is really uh, a nice way not to not necessarily, it doesn't have to exist as a counterbalance to the tragedy because they're so interlinked, but yes. just like, it's like, it's just, it, that's more the fullness of, of life. Like, and, and I think that the show gets that really well and, and you know, that's helped immensely by these actors who are all great.
0: All right. Is there anything else you want to say before we get to your conversation with Russell and Ollie?
3: No, let's, let's, uh, let's hear it from, from the
0: source.
3: Well, I'm so pleased and frankly honored uh, now to be on the line with the creator of It's a Sin, Russell T. Davies, and the star, one of the stars of, Ali- Alexander. Thank you both so much for uh, talking with us. Hi, thank, thank you for having you. me. Hi. <laughs> it's it's such a, a dense and uh, immersive piece. I think it'll be hard to really get into a ton of detail in, a, in just a short conversation, but... As kind of an overview, Russell, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the origin of the show, Um, you know, how it arrived to you at this moment in your career, at this moment in time, Um, because, you know, you've done sort of, you've done shows in the queer world before, obviously, but this is... A kind of different story within that realm.
2: So I'm just curious like how this struck you. Sure, yes. I'm very worried by any podcast that begins by describing it as dense. Be kind. <laughs> it's a lot better than dense. That's a terrible word. Anyway, but yes, it's the story <laughs> of... <laughs> Thank you. It's a story of five people who leave home. It's it's 1981. A bunch of five 18 year olds leave home, like you do, to go to university or to get a job. They end up living in a flat together in London at the beginning of the 80s. And they share a flat. Four of the boys are gay and one girl. And it's the decade in which you come out, you come of age. The music's brilliant. You fall in love, you fall out of love. Uh, You're not just coming of age, they are coming out as well. But of course. Starting in 1981, it's that decade where at the edge of the horizon, like a cloud on the distance, we're getting closer and closer and closer. There's a word, there's a virus It becomes HIV, which becomes AIDS, which creeps into their lives. It starts surrounding them until it gets right into the heart of their lives. And it's it's five episodes set over over 10 years it covers the whole decade it goes from 1981 to 1991 so you really live with these people you really feel their lives and their losses and um I wanted to create a gang of mates who who you miss afterwards because I think that's my fundamental experience of the AIDS crisis is, is losing people I loved and missing them so I wanted to do that I wanted to actually create people you love and miss and you're right it's taken me a long time to turn around like a great big Ocean tanker and, and and face this thing. I've been writing gay stuff for a million years. I mean, it's twenty two years since I invented Queer as Folk, uh, which kind of went around the world. And Queer as Folk in itself, the the original British Queer as Folk, is a very um very much a response to age in that it doesn't mention it at all because it was nineteen ninety eight, and I was absolutely determined that gay life would not be defined by a disease, by a virus, as it was in every straight drama and every straight fiction and every piece of journalism and every appearance in the media. So that was a massive, bold reaction to it that I stand by to this day. I was absolutely right to do it. But, you know, maybe maybe it's hard to analyse yourself, isn't it? Because um, maybe it took me this long to turn around to look at it. Maybe, you know, your life gets interrupted. I, I suddenly ended up doing Doctor Who and that took away 10 years of my life. We'd be having this conversation 10 years earlier if it wasn't for that. But nonetheless, I'm kind of in in many ways the the AIDS crisis, which in some ways is ongoing it's it's almost wrong to talk about it in the past tense but but for the sake of this argument, the AIDS crisis is the biggest thing to happen as a gay man in my lifetime and so maybe i'm glad i' waited this way maybe now i 've got i 've written a lot maybe i 've got the skills i hope i've got the tricks i 've got the insight or some insight into writing about it at last and i'm i 'm glad that I have because i mean we're 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 having this conversation just nine ten days after its launch in britain and it's huge we thought i even i i love the show and i kind of thought well it's a drama about aids we're going to be tucked away in a corner and given a nice ribbon and dusted off at gay retrospectives of the next 20 years but um and a polite applause well done well done and it's turned into this it's actually turned into a phenomenon it's it's taking us we're breathless and amazed by so many people watching it record viewing figures and not just that never mind the viewing figures it's the conversations and the the memories it's woken up the memories of those people we've lost everything I was talking about that I was hoping for remembering people we missed much to my suppose you plan these things they never happen it's actually happened on this and it's a very strange and humbling and beautiful week for us all
3: yeah, I mean, I'm so pleased to hear that it's been received so well. Um, because, like you said, you know, maybe just 10 years ago or something, it wouldn't have gotten the same kind of reception. It does feel like that's something has shifted uh, or progressed, even. Um, you know, Queer as Folk was a big show when I was in, in high school in America. Okay. Um, there were maybe two other out gay boys in my class, and someone had taped british Queers folk off of the tv and the videos were passed around like sort of secret <laughs> contraband uh-huh. um, <laughs> you me, i think you owe me money you owe me money. i probably do I'll, I'll, be, I'll venmo you <laughs> i'll venmo you um ollie what was your knowledge did you know russell's work pre- previous to working on this did, did you have a relationship with Queers folk or doctor yeah. who or anything well both but this is really
1: making me think of my Queers folk introduction was um 40 and i was 14 years old i was at a friend's house and my friend Kaz really loved the series and she forced us all to watch it with her actually, because me and my, my other best mate, who's gay too, but at that time we were still in the closet, you know, we didn't really, we didn't know ourselves. We, we kind of knew, but, and uh, we didn't really even want to watch it. Sorry, sorry, Russell. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> we, we were so <laughs> scandalized. And then, um and then it was a little bit similar to what what, what you were saying, which had like, it was a, uh, you know, a kind of a naughty, it was, it was, it was a sort of secret that we, 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 we had from our, with each other, you know, and we didn't even discuss it, but, and I, um, yeah. So I, I honestly, meeting Russell all those years, all these years later was, um, it was really a moment. It was, it was a moment for me, Russell.
0: Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
3: <laughs> I, I think that's something, at least in my life, that has been so valuable about, you know, being a gay man and, and finding gay community has been a sort of generational exchange you know uh older gay men who have lived through a certain experience that they can help me with or know a piece of history that i'm not as familiar with i think that's a huge part of of the kind of you know the sort of chosen family aspect of queer life and Mm -hmm. i'm curious russell do you see any of that sort of conference of information like between generations as part of the mission of of this show
2: i do i've got to say it also honestly happens the other way around i talked to ollie and all the other boys in the class, and other young people I meet the the baristas in the in the coffee shop down the road, and mm. they're so full of life you know to them their issues are like gender issues, trans issues, all the new issues, same fights, same battles, same language, but different battlegrounds and I learn so much i'm so i mean i'm so in awe a friend of mine uh sent me a text, that ex-Doctor Who companion. And she sent me a text that said, mm. oh, my gay teenage son sat down with his gay boyfriend. And all those words made my head spin. All of them. That's just mad that you can have a gay teenage son with a gay boyfriend. When you're 57 years old, that's impossible and beautiful and brilliant. And she said they watched it and they watched It's a Sin. And she said, they're furious. They're absolutely furious. They did not know that these things could happen mm. because you're talking about mentorship between generations. Because what we're talking about is something that's not on any educational syllabus anywhere. Yeah. It's just not included. It's not talked about. So, so I hope we do have each other, and, it, and I'm not just. It really does work both ways. You learn. I think any. Te- I'm from a family of teachers, and my mum and my dad and my two sisters are teachers, and they will tell you you learn off the young did you what what did you learn from it
3: ali from from this uh, really um uh, you know kind of big experience of of making this this show
1: oh my gosh well i guess um the whole area of hiv and aids was something i was really afraid of for a long time and um i didn't even understand quite why i just linked it with my sexuality that i was kind of coming to terms with and so Over the years, I've kind of been, uh, you know, learning more and more about, you know, the 1980s. What happened in part? What 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 is queer history? What what happened and how does that? How has it impacted me? And you know, like, of course, it's um, the legacy of the AIDS crisis is 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 it just goes on and on and on and the impact is so huge and it affects us all in different ways. And I think I'm always kind of learning more about that, but coming to do the the show and we, make It's a Sin, it was such kind of a very intimate way to engage with it, I guess. And, um, you know, I can't help but be incredibly moved by not only the characters and the story and the show, but, you know, just everything, you know, learning about that period. And I, I remember just before we started shooting, I read um, At Your Own Risk by Derek Jarman, which is... And oh, yeah. I actually just found it today going through my books, and I just remembered what a fantastic... Book this is and I, you know, I have. I think you know when you mention intergenerational um, kind of relationships, I've really had to kind of strive to find my own and um, over the years. But they've given me so much um, courage and 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 you know, Derek Jarman. I never knew him, but he's one of mine. You know, <laughs> and um, it's uh, yeah, and um, I don't know. I just think wow, I'm so honoured to be kind of well, I suppose, a part of this uh, community, really. But to, to, to be a part in telling a story like it's a sin, I think it's so important for people to... Because like Russell says, so many people just didn't, had no idea, you know, lots of this happened in silence. It's, it's yeah.
3: Uh, the people who are listening to this have already watched the show, so I won't be... We're, we can head into spoiler territory, which I'm about yeah. to do. <laughs> to um, there is this gorgeous moment I think it's in the last episode um, where Richie is dying and I believe he's speaking to Jill and he talks about how much fun it was. Speak to his mother. Oh, it's his mother. That's right. Sorry. Forgive me. Um, I I was watching through like a veil of tears, so I I probably (laughs) didn't. But but it's such a crucial moment in the series because I think so much stuff, understandably, about the AIDS crisis in America, in the UK, in France, everywhere around the world has been tragic and laden with that sort of sorrow. And this show is too, but there's also that celebration of the joy and the sex and the communion of people. Um I'm curious Russell how did you approach that balance b- between talking about the sad stuff showing the sad stuff but also showing the, the pleasure of it, the fun of it.
2: Yeah, that's and that balance is exactly what I set out to write. The, the, that's one of the final speeches. In that last episode is kind of full of stuff that I've always wanted to write. You know, I've probably built up for decades to writing this and and also watching on all the other great pieces of work and even the minor pieces of work. There's a lot of AIDS dramas, a lot of AIDS fiction out there as a gay man. I'm just drawn to it like a moth to a flame. It's, even if it's a subplot, I've probably seen it all and loved it. You know, such brilliant pieces of work out there. And uh, but that also allowed me the freedom to sort of say what's not being said, what's my experience, or my insight into this. I'm you know that's what I'm here to do is to have insight. What's missing? Uh, you know, in order to complete the tapestry, which will never be completed, but, um, to, to contribute my stitches to it. But, um, and I thought that, 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 that celebration of the lives that were the deaths could be so terrible. It's a cruel illness. It's cruel. It takes so many shapes and forms. And if you add to the fact that it was covered in shame and stigma and silence, what a, a terrible way to end. And that, I think, sort of set the tone of the deaths and set the tone of the memories of the people we've lost. They were remembered in silence. And um, and I wanted to shine light on that. I wanted to open a lid and open the door and sort of say, look, this, these boys that we lost, these men of all ages, um, they had wonderful lives. It, it doesn't matter whether they were Cora's boys, or whether they went to discos, or whether they stayed at home and read a book, even if they just were, had a nice pizza on a Friday night with their friends, <laughs> even if they were just good friends or good to their mother or good to their pets, it's like the essential goodness of people it tends to get forgotten when when the death is disastrous. And so, um yeah, I wanted to wake that up, and not just not just as a pretty picture, not just being good to your mother, but uh, but actually their sex life to celebrate the sex that they had, the fun that they had, the joy of sex. A friend of mine who was a he was actually an HIV activist and, and, and chained himself to railings back in the day, watched the show and actually described it as sex positive, which is not a phrase I've heard before. But um, obviously, that's, I don't know if that's a phrase that is used, but I, can't, I can't like it. I'm kind of like it. I like days. sex like, positive. Yeah, I'm kind of getting used to that phrase. It's like it's sex positive. And it, it, yes, it's like, yes. Do you know, in a funny way, it's not letting the virus win. It's not letting the virus say, "Yeah, that sex was wrong and bad, and it infected you." It's the opposite. It's sort of saying, "Yes, the sex was great. To have sex is great, and with love, and with affection, and with joy, that's a really good thing." It is sex positive. Yeah,
3: it is, and I, I you know, I think it's in really interesting conversation in that way. With uh, I don't know if you've seen the the Robin Campillo film BPM Beats Per Minute. Oh, no, um, amazing! Yeah, yeah, you know where the, I think that also shows the sex as this kind of transgressive. Um, almost active of protest in a way
2: that I think is so... Oh, that astonishing hospital scene. Yeah. Hospital scene. Yeah. That, that is yeah. Just, just... I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because actually I think it's a sin. Honestly, it is, it's a sin Is reacting to all these pieces of work and activism is so powerfully portrayed in BPM. It kind of allowed me to go light on the activism. We have one riot that actually isn't about the ride. It's about Richie's realization that he's HIV positive. Um, and it actually kind of, these things free me up to sort of say, actually, BPM does that. If you want to see the activists, go over there, come over here for ordinary lives being lived. So great film, great film. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, I, you know, I think that this show too, it shows all these different facets. And 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 yet there is this, this you know, this kind of locus point of this apartment, this group of friends, You know, Ollie, in the show, you genuinely all do seem to be having fun together, to be grieving together, to to really be living this um, as as a unit. Uh, Is that hard to synthesize with you know actors you might not know and are meeting on set? Like, how how did you guys work together?
1: Well, Russell knows this. We all fell in love with each other as a cast instantly, Um, and we had a um, we did have a, a, a rehearsal week. So, but we all met at the read through, and I think. I don't know, mate. Honestly, the casting, got to give it to Andy Pryor, casting director and Russell and all the people at the top, they put together a good group. But we, um, I guess as actors, we definitely were very connected to the story. I think we all just felt very emotionally invested from the get go. I don't know whether that was because lots of us are gay and we, it probably is. (laughs) And, um, you know, we all were aware. I, I think, and it's lucky, really, that we did just click straight away and um, because we really relied on each other throughout the whole shoot. And mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, a joy, just a joy to be, to work with these people. And I think, you, I don't know, I think it's just, you see it. You see how brilliant the, mm-hmm. they all are. <laughs> um, and um, I miss it. I miss that that that, that group. Yeah.
3: I, I know, you know, Ali, in, in your music, um, you you were using, you know, male pronouns in a way that maybe a lot of other musicians who were gay or queer were not, you know, they're hedging their sort of who the song was about. Um and now you're 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 back in, in in acting with this 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 show. Do you feel any sort of I don't know, mandate to 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 do work that has a, a kind of social political context to it? Um is that how you sort of choose your creative pursuits, I guess?
1: Um well not n- not not really I guess I um I'm if if I think uh <laughs> I just jumped at the chance to work with Russell honestly and reading a script like this I've never read a script like this or seen a character like this you know and I think I um it's 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 an interesting topic because you sort of kind of in insert i sometimes i think you kind of fit the politics onto it a bit retroactively you know um mm-hmm. like and i've kind of sort of experienced that a bit throughout my career and I've, I've often questioned myself but it's always been super important to me to 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 be politically active but i've um mainly kind of just wanted to do work that i thought would be really fun and exciting and um so if that makes any sense i don't know really it does know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it does um
3: I, I, another aspect of this show that i i really feel i haven't seen done so thoroughly before is the figure of jill the character of jill mm. who you know i in my read of it is this testament to the many um women and, and allies who who were there during all of this and 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 helping and watching uh their friends and loved ones die uh Russell, was was Jill
2: part of the equation in your head from from the onset? Oh, absolutely! If you watch the show at the end, she's the voice, she's the heart, yeah. she's the moral conscience of the piece, and is a lot more interesting than the words "moral conscience" sound as well. It's she's based on my friend Jill. I couldn't even change her name, Richard. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't. I sat here typing, thinking Alison, Sarah. No, she's Jill. I couldn't change it. So she is Jill. I don't know if you know, but my real life friend jill went to london lived in a place she called the pink palace became friends with those gay boys and and then sat at their bedsides when they were ill and saw a lot of them out of the world and did such brilliant work we got her to play fictional jill's mother so jill (laughs) plays jill's mother on screen which is a lovely circle being Uh, closed actually Uh, a great one of the great Lovely opportunities in life to do that for your friend and and for her to do it for us um and yes um it, the, of course there they are those ranks of helpers um uh those women who you know the and the gay men in this are not angels they they put upon her, they use her they uh trap her into secrets, she takes it, she suffers she She rises above it, actually. I mean, you reach the final episode and I always used to sit at this desk writing it thinking, Jill can see the world. She can see the world. She sees the world Mm. clearer than anyone else. And that's how she's able to pin down the, the... the shame and the problems and the, and 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 not the villains—that's the wrong word—but those who could be better, those who should be acting better—and she tells them. And then you get you cast that in was Lydia West, and I mean, ooh, will we be watching her be a star for the rest of our lives? Yes, we will. Yes. She's shining, isn't she? She's shining yes. and gorgeous. She's an awful woman in real life. She's terrible, She's a, <laughs> a, a bore and a fraud. <laughs> a fraud. <laughs> a fraud. <laughs> what is she fraud? <laughs> Give me my money back, Lydia West. <laughs> but she's you know, you sometimes you strike lucky. It's like Ollie said, that that bunch of people all walked in. You can't cast people to click together. You hope that they do. Right. And once in a while a little bit of magic happens. And like you said, it's visible on screen. It literally is a shine and an energy on the screen. You think, my God, these people are mates. It's lovely.
3: Did it make you think about any of the Jills in your own life, Ollie? Or if you if you have them?
1: Yeah, I mean I um I I think Jill, I mean, I feel so connected to this, honestly, to Jill and to Lydia, who played Jill. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it's, it's, and I think just her character and the way she, she really represents a lot of um, really caring people that I guess I've come into contact, I think, in my life. I kind of see a bit of that rep- rep- kind of reflected in her. And um, I'm, I'm so happy with the response with People Watch the Show because jill is so loved and and everybody really you know that's that's really what everybody kind of says to me is how much they love jill and, and i i really feel like because the boys do use her a bit and richie i was always annoyed at richie for kind of taking advantage of jill even though she's really the, the the love of his life but he can't really ever quite see it and um so now i really feel like uh you know like russell's saying it's a full circle moment but she's really she's just shining and 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 uh that rep- she represents a lot of people a lot of women and a lot of you know, uh, I just think that's, it's really beautiful to see.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, and she, and and Lydia has this intense scene with Killy Hawes, uh, at the end of the series. Um, and you had mentioned the word shame, Russell, and, and I'm curious for both of you, if, if either of you want to answer, like (laughs) where do you see shame operating in this, in this story, in this world? Because I think, um, it's a tricky concept in that, like, it you don't you, you know you're not showing that these people are living these sort of self-loathing miserable lives, but of course there is that stigma or whatever you know or whatever you want to call it kind of surrounding them at, um, in their lives. Um, so I'm just curious, like, how did how did shame come into play uh, in the creation of the show?
2: Oh well, it's the spine of the whole thing, and at the end the. The moral center uh, delivers a speech on shame. It's not even subtle. So you're not even using analogies or metaphors. It's like she literally says shame is this and it has done that. It's so on the nose because sometimes writing has to be on the nose and that's when it works because um, never listen to writing advice that says don't be on the nose. Go for the nose. Nose every <laughs> time. It's true. And um, it, because, I mean, it's drama very much shaped by a virus, Literally, the, the 10 years is, is, is the need to show the slow, incremental advance of the virus, the, the many facets of the virus, the many deaths of the virus. And here, it's a shame is what created many deaths. If this had been coronavirus, we could have, look, the news is full of it. We're all talking about it. Presidents and prime ministers give speeches about it or fail to give speeches about it. But nonetheless, it's on the agenda and, and we're all talking about it all day long. Imagine if that would be the HIV virus. Life would have actually been so much better and more deaths would have been prevented. That is an actual fact. But because the shame is wrapped up with the physical act, I mean, people are embarrassed talking about sex at the best of times. And then when it's gay sex, when it's physical gay sex, then strange um, standards begin to be applied. And not even strange, they're, they're, they're all too common. And so that creates a silence, which creates ignorance, which creates fear, which creates death. And that's the shame. And, and let me say also that gay shame existed long before this virus came along and will exist long after. It's like, as long as we live in a society where to be remotely other is to be seen mm. as different and somehow wrong or lesser or just, or, yes, or just off the beaten path. Then, um, you know, these talk to trans people now, talk to, to anyone gender fluid, talk to anyone having a gender identity crisis now. Shame, shame, shame. But we're so quick to pile upon. I think it's very interesting. There are some reactions to Jill, some people react to Jill um, the character of Jill as though, um, she's too much of a carer. She's too much of a helper. She doesn't have a life of her own. It starts to shame, shame on her head. It's that like shame. And the real life Jill has had this all her life. People lining up, usually straight men, but a lot of women as well lining up to tell you how to behave. This is how you must behave. You must behave in this way. And once you start to be different, then shame occurs. So shame is that it's not, it's not an accidental conversation at the end. The five, I mean, I set out to write five hours of drama that actually, all spearhead an arrow towards that conclusion, which is shame is to blame for the deaths, and shame on the people inflicting that.
3: Well, yeah, I mean it's it's really palpably felt, uh, and uh, you know it's bracing, but but also cathartic in a way. Um, I hope so. And okay. and I'm curious, Ali. You know, just uh, before we go, um, did you did this this show help unpack anything for you in your own kind of self-identity or, or, or did you learn anything about your own, I guess, gay life in the world?
1: Sure. Oh my gosh. So many things. I, um, one of the things, you know, just hearing Russell talk about shame, you know, I, and you see in the show, all the characters are affected by shame, you know, it doesn't matter if they're gay or straight, it, it affects everybody. And just me personally, I know how my own shame has impacted a lot of my own life in, and I had very poor mental health in my teenage years and my early 20s. And I was really, you know, I had a lot of self-destructive behaviours. And, um, you know, and I'm not talking all of that down to being gay. Of course not. But I'm, but the more I kind of, well, the more years I have, but also the chance I've gotten to do something like this and to really engage with, you know, what it means to be gay and how it makes me feel now and what it would have been like in the 1980s. And to go into all of that in such a way was like a real, really a gift. Oh, my gosh, it was just... You know, so it's been like this, pi- this jigsaw puzzle kind of fitting pieces together. And so I, um, I'm just thankful
2: for the experience, really. And I'm
1: continuing to learn more about myself, and you know, every day.
2: It never stops, Ali. It never stops.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> a long, it's a long road you're on and there's a deathbed at the end of it. Um- <laughs> On, note, on that cheery on. note uh you started uh, with want, the word dense love you started uh,
3: i meant like a good novel like a big dense no, novel um, rich, with,
1: rich with things yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes
3: yes exactly that's a that's a better way um well i really want to thank you both not only for talking to us today but also for the show it's and it's going to have a great long life where people discover it of all ages i hope and um, um thank you for making it i guess pretty simply really appreciate that thank you very much yeah yeah all right you too thanks again take care thank
1: you bye-bye thank you so much
0: All right. Was there anything that, that they said, uh, Richard, that you wanted to sort of comment on directly any answer you were sort of surprised by or, well, I, I,
3: you know, I'm, I'm not always the most intrepid interviewer and I really wanted to just let Russell and Ollie talk about their work because I think it's so worth talking about and worth hearing about and, and worth watching. Um, but I did bring up the sort of shame sort of summation at the end, which is, you know, um, there's a big monologue, uh, okay, wait,
0: so, so really quick. Cool. We're yeah. now we're going to talk about the ending yeah, of this sorry. series. If you haven't seen it, uh, you know, go watch it. Yeah. Um, Hopefully you went and watched it before you listened to Russell and Ollie talk about it. But uh, I want to hear what you yeah. what you think about it, Richard.
3: Yeah, I mean, so anyway, I brought it up and I didn't really push back against it. And, you know, because I wanted to hear what he had to say what his sort of reasoning was for at the end of this series. Um, You know, kind of right after we've seen Richie. Uh, on his deathbed talk about what what fun they had, you know. Um, why why he chose to kind of s- then turn it back around to this kind of shame thing that, that shame imposed by um, family and community and society at large was directly responsible for the spread of AIDS, for AIDS death, you know. Um, and I think in some senses for like anonymous sex and things like that. And, and so I don't really know how far... I want to follow that part portion of the show into it's like reasoning about, about w- what was kind of animating these characters, because I don't know. I I, I don't know what you, I want to hear what you think, but like watching the bulk of it's a sin. I don't really see that shame. I mean, it's obviously there. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that. I mean, that, that's still a huge topic of conversation for queer people now uh, is self loathing. I think gay men, uh, you know, the, have a, a one varietal of that which is t- tied to patriarchy and misogyny and 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 fear of effeminacy and femininity and you know all that stuff and and um so i'm not denying it but i i just i i think to kind of have that be one of the last big notes of this show yeah. doesn't quite feel right to me
0: i think if we had had that some version of that and then ended instead with richie's like you know it was fun, sort of deathbed yeah. speech instead, if we had flip flopped them almost, so he's he's contradicting this thing, which it might not be a hundred percent you know he here's what I'll say what I see in the character of Richie Tozier, and by the way, you didn't ask them why he was named Richie Tozier, did you no <laughs> okay, um, I noted to Richard while we were watching that um that's a character uh in the in the film and book it. So I was, I was a little, um, but you know, it starts, Richie comes uh, to the city, not having had sex, tries to have sex with, uh, or does have sex with Ash. And then it's like really traumatically embarrassing for him. Cause it's not very good. Cause who's is the first time. And then what follows almost seems to be, does seem to be connected to that specific shame. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. The shame of, of, of the first time and then like, oh, what a perfect fantasy reality that like Ash winds up like falling in love with and being devoted to Richie, like, Mm -hmm. of you know, um, wouldn't we all want that to happen? But, um, the, uh, so that she, which doesn't, I didn't mentally connect to the shame of, you know, things he was holding from his family, from his mother played by uh, the great Keely Hawes, um, I didn't connect those shames, but I suppose like lack of I think there's a broader commentary that you could make about um lack of sex education, any sort of shame attacked, attached to sex, but specifically you know gay sex if it's not if it's talked about even less than, than cis or straight you know straight sex um shame, shame related to like ignorance. I can mm-hmm. kind of see that sort of coming through, but not necessarily exactly what Jill's talking about at the end there, you know?
3: Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to like push back against Russell's reasoning in, in that, like, this is a personal piece for him. And, and I, and I have no doubt that he is writing from experience, if not maybe his own, or maybe other people he knew or still knows who, who really did feel like a lot of the kind of clandestine, uh promiscuous maybe a little bit reckless self destructive behavior was born out of shame I'm not saying it's not but i i think that um there's so much more too you know and mm-hmm. and i think uh what i guess what i what i really wanted was I mean, okay. I'm going to back up because I, I think that, it, I think that it is interesting how that's it's, this is sort of mirrored recently with, um, people getting upset at gay men for going to Puerto Vallarta during quarantine and, and having a, you know, sex parties in New York city during quarantine and kind of carrying on. And there, there was this weird echo of, of a lot of rhetoric from back then. Um, mm. as I wasn't conscious really back then, but from what I've read and what I have mm. understood, um, and 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 the topic of shame came back up and I saw some, you know, long Instagram captions and <laughs> maybe an essay or two about um about self-loathing and all that kind of stuff and, and where that self-loathing is coming from and how it manifests and and it, it just was sort of accepted. It's this kind of like shibboleth of like of gay life sometimes that, that like this is our not our original sin, but our original sort of albatross, like this this thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that is true for a lot of people. I grew up very you know on the on the much more accepting side with family and community. And I lived in the north, in big cities in the northeast of the United States. Like I was very lucky. Um, I just I think I, I just wanted a little bit more complexity, I guess, at the end of this series. So that wasn't the only sentiment that sort of echoed in my ears when the show ended. Um, and I've since gone back and revisited certain episodes and scenes and, and, and uh, there is more of a fullness there, but mm. um, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that this show is having this dialogue about that time in this time when that dialogue is happening in this time, separate of the show also, and in about a different yeah. thing, you know, this is this ongoing thing. So I guess now I've talked myself into thinking like, well, it makes total sense that it's in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I want to uh circle back to the two little paragraphs that I cut out of Robert's uh Rob's email yes yeah that had to do with the ending here uh cuz I think it's it's directly related right so so Rob writes For me, the highlight of the show were the scenes in the hospital in the final episode in which Richie had to tell his parents he had AIDS. The conversation was so redolent of my own experience of telling my parents slash family I was positive, although my family, after initially being frightened slash distraught, have handled it amazingly. The feeling of shame of admitting to your parents that you've contracted a sexually transmitted disease and the mental images that suggest in their heads is quite a defining moment in my life. Um, And then to a little later down the email, Rob writes, I found it deeply frustrating that the final note was the despair of Richie's death. The show did nothing to destigmatize the virus for the viewers who are not well-informed about it. I wish there had been a final flash forward scene of Jill as an HIV nurse telling a newly diagnosed HIV positive person that it is now a treatable disease and you can live a long, healthy life posing little slash no risk to others when on medication. Um, so I think it's not sort of exactly what you're saying, but, a, but a, a wish for uh, even as this show balances joy and despair, and not and as you said, not making them either or, but making them uh, sort of blended throughout the whole thing. The fact that it ends more on the despair than it does the joy, um, even though there is this sort of like celebratory, you know, wake uh, esque, you know, found family celebration of, of Richie. Like, uh, there could be even more uplift right at the end there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we got that email and I I would also point people to, um, a Substack written by a man named Brian Mullen, M-U-L-L-I-N, who is from London, uh, and, uh, works in theater, and wrote something called how'd you get it slash such a shame. And it's a long piece about these exact topics in it's a sin that is worth okay. seeking out and reading. It's very critical of the show, yeah. Um, but it's really, you know, illuminating. In, in a lot of ways, he's also, I believe positive. And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, there was a, there was a discourse if, which is a generous term for it on, on Twitter a couple weeks ago or last week, I don't remember anymore, but, um, where, Uh, some younger Twitter person was talking about not knowing older gay people. And then someone said, well, that's because an entire generation was wiped out. And then other Mm. people said, what are you talking about? And I think, I think there is among some young queer people, this dramatic notion that like literally there is no gay person between the ages of 40 and 70. Right. You know, which is not at all true. Many, right. many, many, many people died uh, from AIDS, but many also survived, either uh, uninfected or, or or with positive status, and and have been you know on on really like increasingly effective medication um, for many decades now. Um, and and that's a really important thing to to know. And 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 like Rob says, to destigmatize. De- um, and yeah, I, I can see that certainly a different ending of this show that um, doesn't kind of, not to be crass about it, but kind of push this generation off on the ice flow and mm-hmm. figure mm-hmm. it all lost. Because it's not lost, because Russell T. Davies wrote it and he's alive. <laughs> and know, Stephen the- Fry is in it. You know, like it's still, you know, there's evidence the- of survival everywhere.
0: That was the odd math that I was doing, um, or the morbid math, I suppose, when like, you know, Russell T. Davies, I know to be, he's Welsh, and so I was like, oh, maybe like, you know, Colin is his sort of fictional analog, and, and so Colin will certainly survive, and then very early Doors did not, and then I was like, oh, well, then I suppose he's the Ritchie, and then Ritchie didn't survive, and I was like, okay, then, you know, perhaps he's sort of in everyone and didn't, and yeah. didn't do the thing where you inject yourself so completely into the narrative, but, um... Yeah, you know, when we talk about, it was Fran Lebowitz who was talking about sort of <laughs> the generation of, of, you know, people we lost to AIDS. And as you say, it was not a complete generation, but making that idea that like, because we lost so many artists, um, that we lost the ability to be critical. Is that not her point?
3: Well, Something she like was talking that. about artists, but also art lovers. The people yeah. who would go to the symphony and go to the ballet and go to the yeah. theater. Um, and she's like, the reason you see all these, like, old, you know, straight couples is because all the other people went away. You know, they died. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, mm-hmm. she's being dramatic. I have my issues with friendly poets, yeah. but, yeah, yeah. uh, I did not like it's pretend it's a city one bit. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, but that's the thing is that sentiment. I've, I've used it before because it, it, it carries this dramatic weight. It's this kind of, um, I don't know, like synecdoche for like a broader, like gay tragedy, I guess to say like yeah. this generation was wiped out and, and it was certainly really, 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 really harmed and, and, and done a, dealt a severe blow. Um, but, uh, not, not everyone was, you know, like,
0: yeah, I think part of, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if part of it has to do with, um, trying to make the lost felt by people outside the gay community i'm thinking specifically of um not that not that it should be hard but sometimes it can be hard to get people to care about things that doesn't that they think don't directly affect them or theirs um and and there's a lot of miseducation about that around the hiv uh hiv's um epidemic but um I'm thinking of the documentary Howard, which I really loved about Howard Ashman, um, that uh, came out. I think it was like two years ago. There was at the festivals, and then on Disney Plus just this last year. Um, and the idea of of a figure like Howard Ashman, who is so integral to so many childhoods, and saying, sort of towards the end of that documentary, saying, "Think of all the Howard Ashman." Disney musicals or stage musicals for that matter that you could have had if this disease had not taken him so young um and 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 it's i don't know if it's um uh, you know monstrous to try to make people empathize that way but it is one way to say like this does directly affect you and the things you love the things you love were created by people who were taken by this you know Um, that's something I was, I've been thinking about as it relates to, to Howard specifically.
3: Yeah. Howard Ashman is, is, I feel like, um, a really, uh, potent example of that, um, studying theater in college and, and doing, you know, tangential theater stuff in New York when I first moved here. Um, another name I heard was Michael Bennett, who, uh, directed the original production of a chorus line and it was just a revolution of staging and, you know, and he died um, of AIDS complications um, many years ago. Um, yeah, and and I, I don't mean to be to harp on the show for showing death. Of course not. You know, it's just no. like I, I think that maybe it's the time we're in right now. But I just, just craving that little bit of like light at the end of this yeah. experience. You know. Yeah. Um. But I also, you know, on 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 the on the plus side, I mean, there's so much about this series that I think is really not only engaging and and i dare say entertaining i know that's a weird u- word to use about this show but it is um you know i think i think it's really i mean the fact that it's been so huge on uk on like a big network there wh- and there's like so much sex and 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 it's so frank and it's not you know i i think about um the movie stonewall the roland emmerich uh, mm. hor- horrible <laughs> thing that is stonewall um yeah and i yeah. like roland emmerich's movies i like i even like anonymous the shakespeare authorship movie <laughs> um but that movie is just so steeped in horrible tropes one of them being that the hero of the tale is this strapping farm boy sort of jock who has this kind of shamey sex experience in his hometown and then comes to New York and is sort of the worship object of everyone around him and throws the first fucking brick and, you know, and yells gay power. Like it's that movie is absurd for so many reasons, but it's
0: my favorite Richard Lawson's scathing takedown is your Stonewall review. Honestly.
3: Well, (laughs) that was a funny experience because at the press screening, uh, it was like a Friday late morning, It was packed because it was the only screening they had in New York. It was screening in Toronto at the same time uh, during, at the tail end of the festival. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was already back in New York and um, you know, for the first 20 minutes, everyone's trying to be professional journalist, critic type. And then maybe 35 minutes in some one person laughed and then no one could contain themselves. And there was just (laughs) laughter throughout the rest of the movie. Um, Uh It was kind of a joyous experience, communal experience, but anyway that's to say that i think that this is in um or it's a sin rather uh avoids a lot of those uh kind of creaky tropes and and problematic tropes there are you know there there are issues with this show but like you know i think that the way that richie is framed as yeah like a, a sexually desirable person um he has many lovers but there isn't this kind of like worship you know he is and he's a selfish person. He votes Tory. Like he's, he's a really complicated character. Um, and I think that is its own kind of honoring of, of complexity. I, I think that too often in, in narratives about disease and dying doesn't have to be about AIDS. The afflicted person takes on this kind of saintly glow, you know, and, and they are this precious thing being, you know, sort of gently pulled out of the, out of the world. and And, and, and that can be true. But also a lot of people who die of AIDS or other things were complicated, difficult people. And and I really appreciate the way that Davies does that. And I appreciate the way that he sets Richie in conversation with Colin and with their other friends. And, and it, I believe that they're friends despite their differences. And I think seeing that kind of you know, gay and gay adjacent or ally camaraderie in a big glossy TV miniseries uh, is pretty. It it feels striking. You know, it it it, it we've there's maybe been something like it before. Uh, you could argue looking or queer folks certainly, but this has a, a sort of richer timber to it. I think.
0: Yeah, I. I you know to to go back to what you were saying about like the, the the show being surprisingly entertaining you know there's there's sex montages and there's also sort of like Richie doing direct address to the camera walk and talks so, you know just giving out complete denials about the realities of the AIDS crisis. And it's, you know, it's funny in that sort of big, short way in that it's also, you know, it's disturbing and funny and entertaining at the same time. And you, from my experience watching it, I was like, oh my God, am I allowed to be having this much of a good time uh, while watching this story where people are getting sick and dying? Um, is that allowed? And and just, once again, I just, I don't know how to properly praise this for a, truly mass balance of tone uh, in that way. That makes it okay to, you know, enjoy the outrageousness that is, you know, Richie's um, sexual exp- exploits and then like come crashing down to earth with, with other things. I'm curious, can I, can I go back to that substack you mentioned? I'm sorry that I, I have not yeah. had a chance to read it yet, but you know, is the point like, um, you can get it like Colin did, and it's like a tragedy, and you're a martyr because you just had, you know, this one ex- experience, and it's so sad. And he was so virginal and and meek. Or you can get it like Richie did, and like on on, on in some sense, we're supposed to think that he deserved it because he was courting this kind of. Disaster? Like, is that a, a binary? Is trying to, what is, what is it, what is they trying to say? I well, guess I it's a long
3: piece and it's, it's, it's complicated. And, and I, I think that one of the, the, I think that the, what, what this writer, um, Brian Mullen, uh, had took issue with, with, with the Colin storyline was this wondering about how, he, how he got it and then showing us that as a kind of reveal. Um, mm. and, and I think that, what that kind of, um, I don't know how to call it kind of pathology in a way like this is, it's not contact tracing, you know, it, it, it doesn't, we don't really need to know where, how he got it or who he got it from, um, in, in, in the context of this story and the show, um, and, 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 and being so reliant, narratively, dramatically on that kind of reveal sort of helps bolster in some senses, uh, the, the problem surrounding an HIV diagnosis of consequence and, Mm -hmm. uh, of, of this is something you get because of poor behavior. And I, and I, and what I, what I think Davies is trying to show with Colin's storyline is that like, this was not just people you know having orgies or uh, hook up every night or whatever this it 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 could just take one time or you know or right. one person right, right. and i appreciate that that, that 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 be in there that that's in there but i think the sort of showing of it uh that's interesting betrays a prurience or something or a shaming could go back to that word
0: yeah as a like but it's so interesting. I mean, as a smoking on one gun hand, hand, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like a mystery to be solved. Um, And I, I like, I'll admit I got suckered in where I'm like, when did it, where did it, when did, yeah. How, how did it happen? Well, of course um, I, I
3: was too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I guess, you know, I, I really want to read the piece. So I'm not trying to like rebut a piece that I didn't read, but um, I guess I would, I would think that that encounter um connects more directly to that idea of shame that we were talking about, right? Because it happens when Colin's living with this family, the the young man that he has sex with is so infected with shame. It's, it's, it's manifests as like a rage, right? Yeah. Um, because of, of the, of the household that he's living in, I would say like that mother <laughs> is more directly connected to, um, uh, like a, a shame-infected sex, uh, you know, experience than than the Keely Hawes character, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I you know I do appreciate the the fact that you know as I was watching it and I had that assumption that Colin being so virginal was safe, that that was sort of that rug was yanked out from underneath and and like and I was forced to confront my idea of like who who is safe and who is not and how stupid of a concept that is in something like this, you know? So, um, yeah. And I, and I think that, you know,
3: like, um, I'm glad that we can have the kind of conversation about this. That's positive and negative and complicated and, 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 and uncertain, you know, we don't know how have all the answers. And and I think, I think that when you have a, a piece like this, that is addressing an, a a, a underrepresented, community a you know vague community nebulous community of people um it's always going to kind of be a little bit more intensely under the microscope uh kind of an auditing for like well they got that wrong and, and 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 i i can get frustrated with that i think some of that is kind of what killed that show looking which i know had its problems but i think probably would have benefited for a sort of more open dialogue rather than a sort of just like dismissal, I guess. And I'm seeing a little of the dismissal about this just kind of in my little Twitter circles or whatever. And that's fair. That's fine. I mean, this is such a charged topic that like I wouldn't begrudge anyone from just wanting to walk away from it because it, it seems off in some way. Um, But, you know, I would hope that whoever's listening to this, who has watched it at least gained something, a value or, or or maybe not even a value but like but like thought something you know whether it was negative or positive like i i think that uh what it's a sin's kind of core strength is that it exists i guess like um right which sounds dramatic but um yeah
0: well it might also it might feel like well something i think about a lot when it comes to you know watching it's it's funny you know you and i have been doing this podcast this other podcast little Gold men and we've been sort of coworkers for long enough that <clears throat> you know i start to view a lot of like uh, gay art gay stories like through your lens because you know it's it's my most immediate um sort of conversation that i usually have around these things and you you helped me open my eye, like you helped open my eyes about this idea of like can we have something other than a coming out narrative? We've had plenty of that. I'd like something. You know, and yeah. and then what? Like, can we have something else? You know, yeah. something like that. And so do you think that there are ways in which it's a sin feels a little, even though there are, you know, it's not as much a coming out narrative as, as um it might otherwise be, but like, does it, do you think it feels regressive to some people like, like beginners uh in a, in a way that like, um, and maybe that just has to do with the fact that this story hasn't existed for the UK audience, but Americans are like, we've we've already we already know this. I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? I
3: mean, I think that's such a matter of perspective, and and that sure. perspective is gained from you know a variety of things, you know, uh, lived experience, age, whatever. Um, and yeah, I think there is a an air of been there, seen that, done that, whatever. You know, we get it, you know. But like we said earlier, you know, this was 40 years ago and, uh, and, and, and a lot of people don't aren't steeped in that kind of education. So it, so it, it has that benefit to it. Um, I've seen other people critical of the show say that it's kind of like aimed at a straight audience.
0: Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Which like,
3: Okay like i i yeah. that doesn't bother me because it, it, what it's doing is uh is and that it's a hit it's like well they sh- be straight audiences in the you know middle of the yeah. uk or whatever should see this you know and 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 and, and that is its own kind of destigmatization you know granted there are issues with some of the shows portrayals and and who they omit um so it's not a perfect thing it's not a perfect messenger but it is something and um I, I share the frustration of many queer people that, like, there isn't enough stuff that, like, it, it isn't sort of uh, – that is about us, roughly, but but it, it isn't really aimed at us or marketed to us or sold to us. Or one little representational triumph, we're supposed to be, like, clapping for Disney for their exclusively gay moment and beating the beast <laughs> or whatever. Like, yes, of course, that yeah. is a frustration. I wish yeah. we had more movies – uh, and shows, um, you know, that were really kind of niche and like intra, you know, dialogue about queer experience. Yeah. But like, that doesn't, wanting more of that doesn't mean we necessarily need less of something like It's a Sin.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because I think, you know, Queer as Folk was introduced to me via, when I first moved to the city, um, out of college, my straight female roommate was the one who like gave me her queer as folk DVDs or whatever. And I watched it and like, um, you know, hopefully not in like a classic straight woman fetishistic gay sort of way, but just sort of like, it was just a really fun show to watch. And, um, I I think I remember this, please correct me if I'm wrong looking on HBO was happening and ended sort of just when you and I were starting at Vanity Fair. I think it was like the first couple of years that we were there. And I remember you writing a piece when it ended or at least, or maybe it was just a tweet, but it was just sort of about like, here was a thing that felt a little less queer as folk a little bit more like for us by us, like for exactly us. Yeah. And it was rejected by the audience that it was meant for. Is that an accurate memory, Richard? Yeah,
3: no, I did write something to that effect. Um, I actually ended up, <laughs> the funny thing is I was not even like that passionate about that show. but I ended up writing a couple defenses of it. One when it first premiered and then one when it ended. Um, and a funny story about when it first premiered uh, I wrote a piece defending the show um, disagreeing with someone at slate, I believe who had written a long piece about how it was so prosaic and tame and, you know, didn't get the, you know, took all the queer out of queerness and all, you know, and I, I see their points and, and I I know, but like it was an HBO primetime show. Like, I, I don't know what, you know, uh, I think the sex in it's a sin is evidence that like there has been progress on that front, you know? Um, but anyway, so I wrote this piece in 2014. So yeah, it was like brand new to, to vf early 2014 and got asked to be on a call and show on npr for it for an hour
0: mm-hmm.
3: and the show is based in boston but i i was at the npr studios in in midtown manhattan mm-hmm. uh for an hour with just me and jonathan groff mm-hmm.
0: richard
3: yeah, yeah. thanks for and you
0: survived
3: um and I you d- lived to tell the I tale did. my it, goodness. And it, well i I'll tell you a funny story about that. um no, I don't think I should put it on <laughs>
0: i'll <laughs> on, I'll on tell tape. Jonathan Groff story that maybe I shouldn't when I interviewed him for Frozen Two, he complimented my shoes when he did not have to. He just like said nice things on my shoes, and I definitely clip you know that was part of my like longer audio of my interview with him i clipped that one section and sent it to my aunt who was obsessed with jonathan groff and i was like jonathan groff said something nice about my shoes and i just wanted you to know that that happened well so, good. i'm <laughs> i guess we're off topic now yeah, yeah. Jonathan um, groff and there
3: are but, definitely people know. listening just like rolling their eyes about jonathan groff and i get it i know like it (laughs) i get it um but anyway that's a long way of saying that like i don't think that it's a sin is perfect i don't think that it um is a a a completely holistic representation of anything i think that for what it is though and what it's trying to impart upon its uh, its audience um be that older gay men or and and other people who are you know as a kind of memory piece for them Mm -hmm. uh some sort of catharsis I think it it serves its purpose well in that regard. I think it hopefully serves its purpose well as a bit of advocacy advocacy for uh audiences who wouldn't normally watch something like this. And mm-hmm. maybe the it's not melodrama because it really did happen to people, but like the drama, the weepiness, the tearjerker stuff, like that is often a way in for people. It's a it's a route toward compassion. And I guess you could argue that people who aren't compassionate towards queer people wouldn't be watching it to begin with. I don't know that that's true. Maybe it's true for most people, but it might not be for everyone. And, and in that way, I think it's worthy. And I, that might sound square or Pollyanna or not very 2021 of me, but like, I do believe that when the product isn't stonewall, the movie, this is far from that. um, Despite it's, you know, some of its issues. um, I I think that that, that is uh, absolute um, kind of, that's value right there.
0: Well, that, that is a great submission as any of the, the value, the joys, the, you know, and as we mentioned, the flaws of it's a sin. I love talking about television with you, Richard. Um, and I love that, um, you know, this space exists for us to be both, both praising and criticizing something. I think that's, you know, that's the sign of something that's interesting <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, Thank you. I think, you know, I think it was your idea to do this one-off episode. I'm really glad that we did it. And um, is there, I mean, I guess I'm I'm putting you on the spot here, but before we go, is there is there any other, like if people watched It's a Sin and they really loved it, you know, what would be the next thing that you would suggest for them to seek out to watch?
3: Well, to watch, I would say BPM for sure. Um, there's a lot of, you know, similarities. And and as people who have already listened to the interview with Russell and Ollie, like I, I brought that movie up and Russell was very high on that movie. So those are definitely in conversation with each other. Um but if people want more specifically the London experience of this time, there is a mini-series based on this, but I don't recommend watching that. But the novel by Alan Hollinghurst called The Line of Beauty um, is a really extraordinary novel about a young man. He could be friends with these kids, you know um a young man in London who gets kind of taken under the wing of this wealthy family during the height of Thatcher or the beginnings of Thatcherism and AIDS in in London. Um and it's this kind of beautiful epic uh about his experience over those years. Um really worth reading. If you like it, read more Alan Hollinghurst, he's incredible um yeah there's a lot out there i i wish that there was more from diverse voices i mean that stuff is there it's just maybe harder to find or not as readily um doesn't spring to mind as readily but um yeah those two things i would recommend a line of beauty and bpm
0: excellent all right um until uh we return i suppose with with more uh comic book show which we are hoping you know might be the gayest thing marvel does yet i don't know we have high hopes there's only a couple episodes left but maybe uh richard where can folks find you
3: well uh i have a review of it's a sin up on vf.com along with some other reviews well i have reviews every week um uh, tweeting at rylaws.
0: Um, I'm at this. I'm also on VF.com. You can find a conversation that I had with Lydia West, who plays uh, Jill up there. Um, and we will see you back for WandaVision. And then also, we don't know what we're doing next. We haven't decided. Um, so if you have any suggestions of stuff that's on the horizon, I mean, Kate Winslet's doing an outrageous accent in an HBO show, and that's kind of exciting, but it's not till April. So if you guys have any thoughts or feelings about what we should watch next, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com, and we will see you next time. Bye. <sharp inhale>